This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm sitting here with Sasha Fabri, and uh, we're doing a lot of interviews with loads of candidates. And it seems like, uh, wow, we have, what, 23 council candidates? And you, my young friend, I believe so, yeah. you're going to have to try and stand out amongst these uh, 27, 20, 35, 20... So many candidates. So have, many candidates come out, and it's like these last-minute candidates. But you weren't last yeah. minute. You came out quite early. I did. Yeah, I believe I was the second person for council who submitted their papers after John French. Yeah, and so you're eager. Very eager. Very excited. And so, how come you're very eager? What What do you need to do? You must have a vision of what you want to do. That's a big question. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> <laughs> well, what prompted you to run? I mean, usually 20, 20, 27 year olds uh, generally just don't really think about running for politics just yet. It takes uh, there's a special few who do. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, the biggest thing for me is always just service to community. I was in Boy Scouts growing up and those values and principles stuck with me. You know, you you do your best, you serve your community. When I was in uh, high school, I was volunteering quite a bit with Scouts Canada. After high school, I volunteered across Canada with a program called Katimovic. I'm bilingual and so I got a chance to speak French full time. It was amazing. And then when I went to university, I studied global stewardship and then business and then eventually governance as well. Governance leading towards me founding my consulting firm, which is all about supporting boards of directors and their policy, their strategic planning, their leadership development, uh, because my personal motto for that is better boards lead to better communities, the same way that <clears throat> better councils lead to better communities. And I think that there's honestly nothing better than getting the chance to engage with people in a really meaningful way and have a say in how the community shapes itself uh, both now and in the long term. Well, it's good that you have a policy background because uh, with all the new faces on council, there's going to be some people a little lagging behind in terms of policy and what to look for in policy. So thankfully, if you get elected, you kind of know what you're looking for when you're searching policy matters. I think so, yeah. And I've actually also been attending just about every committee and council meeting for the past five to six months. Uh, so that I can really get a, a feel for not just the issues that are presenting themselves forward at council and in the community, but also the processes that are already in place and how the issues are being put through the systems. And yeah, I do have ideas on how we can improve things a little bit at the district. So have you, who have you talked to? I know you've talked to lots of folks. <laughs> like, I know you talked to almost everybody, but on the top of your head, yeah. and, you know, in case you forget somebody, it's okay. I don't, don't, I won't take it personally, or hopefully those groups won't take it personally, because you talk to a lot. I talk to just about everyone that I can. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've spoken with the Squamish Senior Center Society Board of Directors. I've spoken with business leaders. I've spoken with uh, a lot of developers around town. I've spoken with every current counselor. I've spoken with staff members at the district. I've spoken with First Nations leaders. I would like to speak to more of them, absolutely. I have meetings set up with QP. I'm hoping to be able to uh, understand what they're hoping to see from council and councillors over the next four years. I speak with people when I'm walking by. I speak with people at the coffee shop, people who like to do podcasts. <laughs> so, I mean, and I think that's the role of a councillor. A good councillor is somebody who goes out there and listens to everybody. You know, you shouldn't, well, I mean, you can if you want to. You shouldn't, in my opinion, be going for just one issue when you're running for council. You should be running for the betterment of community as a whole. You should have a comprehensive understanding of at least the high level of all the issues that the community is facing and some idea of what to do about it. Keeping in mind that nobody goes into council understanding every little bit of every little issue. That's near impossible. 
Uh, but what you do want is someone who's thoughtful, someone who's engaged, someone who's willing to respectfully and critically engage on the issues. And through talking with the experts, if you're not an expert yourself, through talking with the community and discussing amongst your fellow counselors and staff, come to some really strong and healthy decisions. But why run now? Specifically, was it, did you know there was the winds of change coming and you figured you need to get in now? Or is it uh, like, did you sense the fact that we're going to practically lose every incumbent except for maybe one? I don't think anyone saw that coming, to be honest with you. I don't I don't think anyone saw a one incumbent council coming forward. I was thinking maybe two or three, but I'm quite passionate about the community. And, and I moved here because I want to spend hopefully the rest of my life in Squamish, start up a family maybe. I think that from a, a government background in a small town, I feel like municipal government has has a huge impact on how people live their their daily lives. And well, yeah, of course. And I mean, this the, the level of government everyone deals with. Right? Yes, we deal with municipal, maybe provincial, federal, not so much. Tax time. And then you deal with it mostly. Well, yeah, and then there's there's transportation, of course, and there's the highway, and and then there's you know funding for. Uh, some some big projects that come forward that that you'll have to deal with the provincial and federal governments, but in terms of you know why run why run now, um, I I have been involved in in politics for the last four years now. I've I've had some pretty successful lobbying efforts municipally, provincially, and federally with some of the organizations that I've worked with and some of the organizations that I've represented. And I I honestly just put myself forward for the experience. I have some good ideas that I think deserve to be talked about in the election. And I think that's all anyone can really hope for is that you you put yourself and your ideas forward so that they're considered, especially if you think they're important to where the community is going. Uh, people meaningfully consider them uh, and hopefully they agree and, and they end up voting. And, and that's, you know, we'll see how it goes. So the the, uh, the good ideas that you've had, do they sort of reflect with all the conversations you've had with all the groups? So what? You know what oh yeah, absolutely. All right, so that you have a similar wavelength then with all the people you've talked to. No, not always. So I, I'll start off, I'll meet with just about anybody, whether I agree with them or not, and listen to them. I think that is what makes a good counselor, the ability to critically and openly debate. What, what, I'm, what I'm getting to is basically with the same wavelength is the issues that you find in Squamish mm -hmm. are the same issues you're finding with your talk. So okay, what are the is, issues yeah. you think that most need attending to is what I'm saying. So what, what are the prime issues that you, you've been hearing amongst your travels amongst Squamish? Sure. And so the fun thing about municipal elections is, you know, there's an expression that you're always going to have people who are worried about trees, transit and taxes. So trees being the environment, especially. And in particular, I think this election, what's going to happen is you're going to see candidates come forward with a largely similar set of issues, right? Everyone's going to be talking about housing. Everyone's going to be talking about transportation. Everyone's going to be talking about improving the economic sustainability and viability of, of businesses in town and, and making sure that we have good relationships with provincial and federal partners, right? It seems to be that everyone in town has an understanding of what the issues are. The interesting thing that I think people should pay attention to is how those candidates propose to solve those solutions, because that's where people will differ. Uh, and so that's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I mean, what I've realized now we're talking to several candidates is like they all have the same notions of what we need to fix Squamish. It's a question of who is a better position to manage the change of development that's coming in the future. So what makes you a good manager of development in the future? Because a lot of people are saying, hey, we need to sort of hold back on some of the housing so that we could properly develop the OECP the way you trended. If you believe in the OECP, then there's the uh, we need to bring business in and then they have different views on how to bring business in. So and it all interconnects, right? I mean, you, if you mess with one, you sort of halt with the other. And it's, so he's trying to find that balance. So how do you find yourself looking at managing that balance? Absolutely. So 
I think a good skill that I've demonstrated that I have and would be incredibly useful in the position is the ability to talk with everybody and to work with everybody, whether I agree with them or, or not. That's the heart of what pushes the, the community forward in my mind is, is good discussion. The other thing too is that I'm no stranger to political involvement, especially when it comes to using that relationship ability with the provincial and federal government. There have been times when I've represented 80,000 constituents provincially and over 100,000 constituents provincially uh, in dealing with the transportation file in particular. And so when you're talking about things like regional transportation and municipal transportation issues, I have a very keen understanding of what the processes would be to try and engage with the provincial governments and how to build and maintain relationships that would really help with that. Now, are in a position to negotiate with provincial governments? So do, do we have a leg to stand on when you go and approach and say, hey, you know, we don't have Greyhound anymore. We kind of need regional transit. So I think the regional transportation issue is going to be an interesting one because Greyhound services stop at the end of October. That's when they're planned to, to end. And so we could potentially have a solution already presented to us by the provincial or federal government by that time. But in particular, I do think there's one issue that everyone in Squamish has a notion about, and that's our gas prices. You know, we are getting charged the exact same price as the gas stations in the lower mainland, though we're not subject to the regional transportation taxes down there. Several months back, I uh, started up a petition around the gas prices as soon as Greyhound decided that they were going to cut services. And I think the the heart of that uh, was me saying, I think that we should, in fact, assess the gas tax because at the moment it's looking like we're, we're missing out on about five to six million dollars a year on revenues that we could use to invest in our, our municipal and, and regional transportation. Now, I have heard different figures, so I can't nail that one down in exact, but that's the approximate that I have heard. Well, I mean, Vancouver charged an excise tax, what, 15 cents a liter, which is the highest in the country. I think second is Victoria, and we're paying the same price. So that's 15 cents that's not going into our pockets, let's say the district pocket yeah but at the but the thing is you have no influence over the over these gas stations i mean if anything you would you would put in your own excise tax but then what's stopping these gas stations from adding that tax onto whatever we're already paying and that's a really fair argument i think though the reality would be that no gas station in squamish could charge us a dollar 80 a dollar 90 I think what's happening is that they're charging the, the, the costs as they should be. I think that the, the prices ought to generally remain the same, but what we should be doing is getting that, that revenue. And I can't see them uh, increasing the price of gas along with that tax personally. Well, honestly, I, but we could still be more expensive than Vancouver. We still have 60% of the people here commuting to Vancouver for work. Yes, right? we do. They still need these gas stations. Still be paying 150 and 151 and we'll be grumbling all the way down, but we're still that one gas station until Whistler. Yeah. So, I mean, that's still a risk. It is, absolutely. But I don't think that because it's a risk, we should be doing nothing. At the end of the day, too, we still need to make everyone happy. We still need to somehow get the gas stations to sort of bring down their, their pricing or be fair. How do you get them to be fair? Well, there are a lot of different mechanisms in place. I mean, the Competition Bureau is one that I know that current mayor and council have already explored, not to very much success. Uh, the other one is talking with the Ministry of Transportation and seeing what influence and and uh, control measures we can put in place. But we're dealing with more levels of government means time lags. We're going to need transportation, regional transportation now. So what would be the quick fix? I think there's a lot of different answers on that one. So one in particular, for example, would just be opening up the market to competition. And I know that that answer has been reflected by a few other candidates and a few other people running as well. It's not an unreasonable one, but I don't think it should be done in and of itself. I think we should also be exploring public transportation options and not just the 
uh, open market systems. Uh, I do think that, for example, businesses like the Squamish Connector have, have an ability to expand now that Greyhound has left. I understand that Greyhound had a monopoly on the area and, and the Squamish Connector faced a lot of difficulty from uh, uh, a lot of them. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's an understanding. Yeah, for, I, I can't remember the name exactly. The board is the the transportation board, something along those lines. They faced a lot of uh, pushback because they were enforcing a greyhound monopoly. Now that will be null and void, and so hopefully we can see that business expand. But you know, partnerships and a mix of solutions is always, in my mind, the better, not just one. Well, when it comes to moving around in the corridor, especially moving around Squamish, where are we talking about the identification of Squamish? Like, for example, the one way in, the one way out, the mm -hmm. Jumar there making things a bit of a pain in the butt. And the fact we do have loads of permits going in now for downtown Squamish, really one way in, one way out. What do you mm -hmm. think about the uh, development in downtown core or anywhere else in the, in the district? Development is a tough issue right now because we have... As a community largely given away a lot of the free land, uh, there are only two plots of land left downtown, I believe, uh, to explore if you wanted to put something like a parkade, for example. I think the only spaces are at the waterfront area, and I know the district still owns the copper coil lands, so if that business were to ever leave, those would be the only areas. Uh, in terms of the densification of downtown, you know, a lot of it's said and done. And so it's difficult to have anything to say on that other than I'm not sure the processes in place were appropriate and, and got meaningful consultation, which is a big part of my platform. I think that process for every development is going to be important moving forward to have the trust of the community. And we weren't necessarily... I feel applying appropriate community amenity contribution and development cost charge for the developments that we did get. Are you saying we left a lot of money on the table? I think we left a heck of a lot of money on the table. Absolutely. And, you know, I've spoken with a lot of developers and I've spoken with a lot of community groups. And the interesting thing is that the developers seemed to give me in at least the one on one conversations the same answer is that they don't mind if the, the CACs and the DCCs are set at 10 percent or 15 percent like our neighboring communities. And I think they should be set at 15 percent personally or higher. Um, what everyone wants is certainty. So no one likes to enter an uncertain and risky market. They want to, to mitigate those risks. And so they want to know what to budget for and how to properly plan their, their, pros, their projects. And to know that when they have uh, these projects put forward, there is a process in place that they can have faith in. Uh, and then also the, the community, the citizens have uh, faith in the process and know that if they do have issues with what's going on there. There are proper mechanisms in place for them to go to give their opinions and to be heard and, and for counsel to meaningfully listen to that. Uh, so, so it's a mixed bag there. I don't think that process was followed necessarily to the best of its use. I think that we are leaving a lot of money on the table in general. And I think there's a lot of room for listening to people more than we have typically. So I would agree, yes, that there, there should be systems in place to sort of get our, our money's worth, I mean, from here on out. But you were just saying we don't have enough lands left. The housing market is slowing down a bit. And so I argued in one of our election sessions that people are still going to come in and develop here. And we still have negotiating room, but I don't think we have a strong negotiating room as, as I think we want to believe. Mm -hmm. So it's about finding that balance and having business acumen to deal with these developers at that point. So when a developer comes, I mean, you obviously expect more, but you don't expect the farm, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at the GAS, <laughs> which is another big one, mm -hmm. what do you stand on that one? That one's actually really easy in my mind. I went to one of the consultation sessions recently and I asked a very important question in my mind. One, what governing authority do you hope to see take over the project? The answer being district rather than SLRD. 
And two, what process is in place for us to take over that land from the SLRD? And they gave me a very specific answer. They said that first what would happen is either council would vote to go to a referendum or 10% of the population would sign a petition calling for that referendum one way or the other. Um, the next step then would be to have the people of Squamish vote on the project through a referendum. If that referendum is successful, then what would happen is that uh, the developer would have to go to the SLRD and ask for an exemption to their land expansion plans, uh, which would require unanimous consent, which I find incredibly difficult to believe could be achieved, but I'm not the developer. And after that, then once those two very difficult tasks have been achieved, it all gets sent off to the province for approval after the fact. So in my mind, it's very easy one way or the other it's going to a referendum if it does happen. And I think that the people of Squam... This, is, this issue has become so large that it's no longer about six people on council deciding it. I think the people of Squamish should have their say on this. So where do you stand on that then? I think that, honestly, I still have a lot of questions about it. I think that, you know, there's questions about who's going to be maintaining the infrastructure uh, should things go sideways. Where is the water going to come from? Uh, how much housing is going to be available to employees? Now, they have said about over 2,000. But, you know, you want to make sure that your employees are appropriately housed. You want to make sure that there is appropriate transportation to and from the area. Whistler has a problem, for example, where it's incredibly difficult for them to keep staff. People are driving from Squamish to go work at Starbucks, for example, in Whistler. I have friends who do that. And there are people working in Whistler who have to go to the food bank because they don't have affordable housing over there. Those are incredibly important things. The other thing, too, is that we need to make sure that as we mentioned earlier, the Ministry of Transportation is working really closely with us because I'm not sure that our current highway infrastructure would be able to handle the thousands of extra people coming and going on that highway. Sure, you're going to cut down on a couple people who are, who are traveling to Vancouver and Whistler to work, absolutely, but that's, that's a lot of new people coming to Squamish already uh, with our current developments that have already been approved, let alone GIS. So there's there are a lot of questions that I personally think need to be answered. And in my mind, when you force a project or, or a project inevitably goes to referendum, those questions come out. Those questions go to the public and they are they are answered. And, and that's what I would be looking forward to. So you're, you're expecting extra traffic to come through the highway, not necessarily um, the same traffic going to Whistler, just being diverted. You're expecting extra traffic to come through. Well, that, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think a lot of people come up here um, and they just sort of pass through and go, oh, look, the gondola, and then they go up to Whistler anyway. Uh, just when it comes to the Garibaldi, um, maybe we get some uh, some visitors to come up this way and, and stick here, which will be great for tourism. So it'll be great for local businesses. But then we, we come back around to housing. We come back around to downtown where the, a lot of businesses are. You can't really get in there. There's lack of space. So when, it, when you're talking about developing, I mean, where, where do you stand on the development? Do we want to develop more housing in the Chima lands, you want to develop. So where, where, where are we looking at expanding? Are, we, are you happy with the current OCP? So the OCP is an interesting one. You, The district put in a lot of time and energy and resources, and a lot of citizens had their say, and a lot of staff worked very hard on it. And all in all, I think that it's a good document. Now, that's not to say that if a development came forward that's outside the OCP, I would necessarily be against it. So the really interesting thing about my platform is that I'm essentially giving the citizens a checklist of how my thought process is going to be for everything that comes before me, which is really rare. Not a lot of candidates do that. You know, they'll often speak about, you know, their integrity or their history or their commitment and their passion. What I've said is my platform is on livability, 
accountability and sustainability. So if a project comes forward that's outside the OCP, for example, I will ask myself, is this project going to make Squamish more livable? Is the process being presented accountable? Are we holding ourselves accountable? Are we holding other uh, industry or development or, or municipalities accountable? And will this be sustainable for our community, for our development, uh, for the environment? Uh, that's going to be the judging process that I have for every decision that comes before. And if a development comes forward and it meets all or the majority of, of those checklists... What's the majority? 50%? 60%? 70%? I think that's a bit arbitrary. I'm not sure how I'd quantify <laughs> that one. But the, the point well, you, you is... That's, list, that's, you list like yeah. seven things on that checklist. So, I mean, uh, if it's four out of three, <laughs> awesome. That's just yeah. like a council vote, right? So. The, well, the, the next point there is that <laughs> <laughs> it's a council vote. Yeah, 50%. I don't, well, I'm not sure 50% plus one is exactly confident. There you go. <laughs> uh, to create or break a tie. I think that if it meets the majority or all of those checklists, it's worth putting it to the citizens and then really listening to them. Don't just placate. Don't just say, oh, we had a public hearing that no one came to. Make sure people go out, you know, try and find a way to engage as many people as possible, even though it's that's, incredibly that's difficult. Tricky. That's tricky. I mean, getting people out to vote is going to be even tricky, I think, with, especially with all the new faces and stuff. I think people yep. are more inclined to vote now because they know we're on the precipice of lots of change. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a lot of work ahead of us, so I think people are paying attention actually to the mm -hmm. candidates and having and you know five mayoral candidates, which is unheard of, I think in this area. I think the most they've ever had once was three. It's crazy. And and with and I predicted in the twenties when it came to councilors. So hey, I got something right. That yeah. You know? And we're, like I said, we're not seeing a lot of differing views. Everyone's sort of saying the same thing. So I'm still going to ask you one of the questions that everyone's pretty much answered, and I'm just mm -hmm. going to hear your answers. Sure. When it comes to business in Squamish, what's your plan for the businesses in Squamish? How do you how do you plan to attract more business? Are you looking at diversifying the the, the economy here? I don't know what what are, you, what are you looking at to ch change things around so we sort of balance the the tax bracket, let's say with the property taxes, and we paid what increases over the last ten years. That's a really easy question. Well, it, it's a tough topic, but in my mind, it's an easy it's an easy answer. Squamish property taxes have increased, I think, beyond the level of what we expected them to be in the year twenty twenty five. They're higher even than parts of Vancouver. It's it's incredibly tough to to live here and to face those taxes. And so what you can do as a we council really much to show for it. Right. We have many yeah. problems. We have a dump problem. We have a yep. waste problem. So, yeah, that, that means you got a lot of work cut out for you in council. Absolutely. And so the question council then asks itself is how can we alleviate the burden to the regular homeowner and, you know, even just the people who don't own homes who are living here and finding it a tough time to get ahead. The answer in my mind when it comes to business and, and economic development is we need to increase our commercial industrial tax base. We need to make sure that we are getting more businesses in town, that they are able to thrive, that they are able to attract and retain employees and to be successful. A, a strong commercial industrial tax base is what helps out the rest of the everyday citizens with their taxes and, and leads to us being able to appropriately address the infrastructure concerns that we have. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of infrastructure concerns. Up to, uh, I've heard the highest quote of about $100 million, yeah. That's not a small amount. Mm -hmm. That's a big number, especially since uh, all the borrowing and the spending has been going on. And like I said, we have amenity issues. So how do you plan to diversify and bring in business? You can't give them tax incentives. You can't really incentivize them. How would you sell them to come up here? Well, so the first part of my platform is on the livability of Squamish. Uh, the second on accountability, the third on sustainability. Sustainability, not just being about the environment, but also about the ability of businesses to thrive, right? A sustainable community has a strong 
commercial industrial tax base it has strong businesses that help out the rest of the community i think that working with groups like the chamber of commerce working with the downtown uh, business improvement association i think that having partnerships with the groups around town in order to find solutions to these for uh, you know, developing economic sustainability plans. I know that we have some progress, some that are already in place, but reviewing them, making sure that we have good plans in place to get those businesses and talking with everyone would be a first start. Because if we're bringing in the GAS and if we're bringing in all these businesses that have all like between seven and 20 employees and they, they all have a certain type of lifestyle, I mean, we're, we're going to have to look at, uh, you know, obviously building homes for these people. We have to look at uh, developing for these people. And then also you were talking about how your friends in Whistler are having troubles finding housing. It's, it's the same issue here in Squamish, especially when it comes to um, – with Vale now in Whistler, they have a t- different mentality now when it comes down to having where their employees stay. Interwest was very, you know, we need to keep our employees in town, whereas, you know, Vale is kind of used to having their employees come in from wherever. They don't really care. So we are looking at, again, a housing crunch. And so you don't want to overbuild, right? Because then you're putting a strain on the amenities that we don't have or we're lacking of. And, and, and then you're bringing up uh, the value. You might be dropping the value of the properties a little bit, or you're bringing it up. Or, you know what I mean? It gets it gets kind of messy. It's all intertwined. So when you're trying to bring in business and you're trying to, uh, are you, are you, it, again, is that balance? So how do you find that balance? Are you looking at making the specifically developing homes for a certain certain group of people or affordable housing, rental homes? Sure. Well, on on development of homes, I always think that mixed use development is a good idea. In speaking with the Squamish Senior Society Board of Directors, for example, they pointed out that not enough condos are being built for seniors. And I understand that it's difficult because the the detached home style, there's, there's, there's land use issues there. But being able to consider that, for example, is something that's incredibly important. Um, what, on the community amenity contributions, the percentage of housing in a development that is dedicated to social or affordable rental housing is incredibly important, which is why I suggested increasing it. I think that as well, you have issues with Airbnb. There are hundreds listed in Squamish. And absolutely, I empathize with the regular homeowner who's just trying to keep up with property taxes and make a little bit more income. You know, if they want to rent out a room or a couple rooms in their house, uh, I have no issue with that. Uh, I take issue with places that rent out the entire house and take away from the availability of rental market in in Squamish. According to uh, Squamish Foundation's uh, Vital Signs report this year, we have a 0.0% rental availability market. And as someone who doesn't yet own a home, working towards it, as someone who doesn't yet own a home, I absolutely understand how difficult it is. You know, I've, I've had to work a couple jobs sometimes, always, um, just to be able to ho- save up and, and, you know, hopefully get in there. So it, it's, it's mixed, right? So you need to address the Airbnb. You need to address the commercial industrial tax base to, to alleviate a little bit of the tax burden on the regular person. You need to build the uh, social and affordable housing for the employees so that businesses can attract and retain employees. And they're not struggling to find that work and struggling to have people come to their business. Obviously, more people in town means more people to come to the businesses. Uh, You know, absolutely everything is intertwined, which is why I also think it's incredibly important that people coming forward for council aren't just one issue candidates. They need to have an understanding that transportation and housing 
and the livability and the process and how we're addressing these issues all relates to one another and it all needs to be tackled. So are you looking at downright um, banning Airbnb or like one of the one or two, but say uh, if someone has a basement suite and they're using it on Airbnb instead of renting it out, that's a big no-no in your book? No, 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 no. I think that having a having a, a mixed approach is, is incredibly important. I, I think that empathizing with a person, as I said, who is just looking to rent out a couple of rooms is fine. Uh, I take issue with the people who are renting out their whole houses. And putting in place policy, perhaps similar to that of Vancouver recently, where you address the middle ground is going to be incredibly important. Yeah, I, I think uh, from what from my conversations with a lot of the other candidates and uh, people brought, uh, around here, it's one of those things if you make it a little easier for people to build suites in their homes, which they can rent out, you can uh, help with the market. But again, I mean, the rental market, affordable housing in Vancouver is what, over $3,000. And right now when you look at rents here, it's still pretty high. And I don't see that changing within within the first couple of years of you guys being in council yeah uh change takes time absolutely i think that the last group that uh, that's leaving now puts you in a good spot or puts you in a bind or i have a lot of empathy for people who serve their communities on councils whether they've made good decisions or bad uh the old saying at least for boards of directors and not-for-profits is that you come you give everything that you can and then you go but for better or for worse and you know when you're a counselor you're dedicating not just 20 30 40 hours you're dedicating more than that you're always on when you go to a coffee shop everyone wants to talk to you you should be reading hundreds of pages of documents every week you are going to places around the community to see for yourself what you think is going to be affected by your decisions and then you're faced with the weight of those decisions and no matter what decision you make you will always have people for your decision and opposed to it you are never given a chance to really rest for four years. You are always serving your community. And so I have absolute respect for everyone leaving um, and, and what they've done. I think that Squamish has gone through a lot of change in the last decade. And absolutely, there are things that could have been done better and should have been done better uh, and hopefully will be done better. Absolutely. But in terms of the change and what's happened, it you, it's really difficult to, to judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And hopefully I can run four years of miles in their shoes. <laughs> well, if you go by social media, it looks like you're, it's, you're, you're taking over. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know what you're taking over. It's not nice. I can't, I can't find a nice word to put it, actually. <laughs> but social media is evil for that, for that same reason. I mean, it's all, all negativity, negativity. I think that's the, the new thing I've been talking about, too, about uh, for people who are running for council now. It's a lot more integrated world, and, and people behind their keyboards are, are very um, vicious. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I've seen things already online about certain candidates, which is I was like, wow, really? It's already starting. These people haven't had the job yet. There's a new level of engagement now, right? You have that social media level where people are not so afraid to tell you how they're feeling. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's also put some people uh, back on their heels about running. You know, yeah. A part of that, you know, their businesses or their family, their lives will be seriously engaged with uh, being out and about but uh, yeah I it's mean, tough you it, it must have a strong will for several months I was debating whether or not I was going to run and for about a month there I had you know some family concerns come up that I had to make sure that I was addressing and I wavered a little bit as I think everyone does ultimately I said I'm going to steal my resolve here I'm going to make sure that win or lose I'm doing everything that I can to Put myself out there to speak my mind on the issues that affect everybody and then win or lose i can feel proud of myself hopefully win and um, this decision is 100 percent what i want to do and i don't think i would 
love anything more than to be able to serve the community. I think it would be great. I would have a lot of fun with it. I would absolutely love it. Before we wrap up here, you talked about how everyone has that one big issue and you have, you know, you've, you've talked to everybody and you understand the complexity of what's happening in Squamish. So what is the big issue? What would be your big issue? If someone said, I want one issue from you, Sasha, what is it? What would that be? All right. Here's my answer to that question. I've spoken about how all of the major issues are intertwined, and that's why it's really difficult for me to say, you know, transportation is important, or housing is important, or policy is important, or Garibaldi at Squamish, or, or LNG, or, or whatever it is are important. What all of those have in common is process. So I think that's what's incredibly important to me, making sure that good or bad, whether you agree with the decisions or you disagree with the decisions, having a process in place that everyone trusts, that everyone was given a chance to meaningfully engage in and have their say properly debated and come to a decision. I think process is incredibly important for me and, and having one that people believe in is great. And that's why the slogan to my campaign is that every voice counts because sincerely I do think it does. I think that you need to take into account the voices of people who've lived here their whole lives the same way you need to take into account the voices of the 3,000 or so people who've moved here in the last four years, which is more than elected the last council, by the way. So, and you need to take into account the voices of the seniors and the First Nations and the recreation groups and the business leaders. They're all going to have competing interests. They're all going to have different perspectives. But at the end of the day, all these issues affect us. They affect our quality of life. And the process is what connects it all. Well, let's hope that your voice for process is louder than the other 23 candidates, my friend, because uh, you, you've got your work cut out for you. I do. I'm excited for it, really. I hope, I hope your campaign manager's up for the task. I'm my campaign manager. <laughs> <laughs> Grassroots. I like it. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time, Sasha. Thank you. I really liked this. Thank you so much. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.